0: Well, good morning once again. I am thrilled to introduce to you today uh, my good friend, Jeff Pratt. Uh, I've known Jeff for 20 years now and he has had an incredible influence on my own life and journey. Uh, Jeff is an ordained minister. He's the founder of Axiom Global Monastic Community that has locations in 27 countries. Uh, He has traveled and preached in more than a hundred different nations and we have the honor of having him with us here today. And not only that, Jeff is going to be helping us in the second semester of the year as we think about how to go deeper and engage more fully with our discipleship theme of live prayer. And again, uh, the influence he's had on my own life. I met him when I was 18 years old. He spoke on a training school I was in and it had such an impact uh, in my heart and life. And we've been uh, fast friends since then. And so uh, I am thrilled to introduce to you today, my friend and our guest speaker, Jeff Pratt
1: first off I want to thank you all very much for inviting me to be part of your live prayer journey and I'm just committed and have been committed to you pray for you every day in this journey and I've loved looking at your common space groups videos from last fall and I'm very excited with God has taken you all and I'm I'm happy to step aboard into that journey now um, just so you know a little bit about myself. I was born and raised in upstate New York large family of seven kids six boys and one girl Nicole was the last my parents didn't think they could make girls and we were all happy when suddenly She arrived and they go our family's complete now. We were at church all the time And when I was 12, I became a deacon 14 years old a teacher and then when I turned 16 I became a priest but in 19, Jesus invaded my life, and I became a Christian. I was born and raised as a Mormon in a strong Mormon family, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The man who trained Daniel Marie Osman trained me to sing, and as brothers, we would travel um, at times in different churches and preach how Mormonism was the only true church on the face of the earth. Corey Ten Boom said, though, there is no pit too deep that God's love is not deeper still. And I thank him ever so much for rescuing me from a wonderful people with a theology that was not right. I'll never forget the day when I was um, 16 years old, speaking in front of a congregation, saying, imagine with me that there are three people in a waiting room getting ready to be interviewed to get into heaven. The first person leaves the waiting room, sits in front of the interviewer, and the interviewer says, tell me everything you know about Jesus. And this man was sharp. He knowed all the details of Jesus' life, death, how he was raised in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. And the interviewer was now said, saying, yes, everything you've said is true, but sir, is there not one thing you're forgetting? And the man said, no, I'm sorry. And then a look of pain and sorrow crossed the face of the interviewer. And he said, step to the next room. So he left. The next person came in and she was a woman. And when the interviewer said, tell me everything you know about Jesus, same question. She knew more than the man. All the dates, all the theologies. And the interviewer was excited and was smiling, and was like, yes. And then he looked deep into her eyes and said, Miss, is there one thing you're forgetting? And she said, sorry, I've told you everything I know. And then that look of pain and sorrow crossed his face again as she left the room. When the third person to be interviewed stepped into the room and saw the face of the interviewer, he immediately fell on his knees and began to cry. saying, my Jesus, my Jesus, how I've longed to see your face. That morning I said, brothers and sisters, if the risen Christ were to walk through this back door and come right up front here with me, yes we know so much about him but would we recognize and really know him and at that moment an awakening happened in my heart for the first time I saw two things I saw Jesus' desire to be recognized and known and I saw my need for a Savior so I prayed a dangerous prayer in my heart I said Jesus I want to know you and I want to see you wherever you're to be found in this life. I want to have eyes to see. Folks, I believe the true seeing is the heart of spirituality today. Therefore, we desperately need some prayer practices to teach us how to see, what is worth seeing and what we don't need to see. The spiritual prayer practices rid us of illusion and teach us how to be present. They show us what is the true version of ourselves, how we can see ourselves clearly, how we can see others around us clearly in truth, and how we can perceive God movements in the world. But unfortunately, we often live in a mass cultural trance and we end up only seeing with our material eye. If we believe Jesus, nothing is more dangerous than people who presume they already see. God can most easily be lost by being thought found. So I found in my Mormon journey. But I love the verse and the challenge in John 15:19 that says Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. And preface before any miracle in scripture, or any movements of God in the world, walking in human flesh in the person of Jesus, is the words, Jesus saw. John 9 begins, Jesus saw the man born blind. And later in the chapter, it describes that Jesus' mission here on earth was to help the spiritually blind receive their sight. And friends, that's you and I. So let's pray the dangerous prayer let's be like isaiah and isaiah who had such a heart to encounter god went upon the mountain and was struck with the holiness of god and prayed the prayer that pastor eric spoke about oh lord search me and know me and in the presence of a holy god immediately he was confronted with himself so whenever we want to become seers we have to be willing to pay the price to learn how to be sifted in a stillness, to hear the heartbeat of the risen Christ within us. In a secular and Christian culture that does not pry slowing down at all, we put such an emphasis on the doing without paying the price to see. We're more concerned often with to-do-less than to-be-less. And yet if we slow down and say the prayer, to pray is to practice the posture of radical trust in God's grace. And unfortunately, while leading Axiom monastic Community, which our whole goal is to pause, to slow down, to catch up with God, I allowed my old performer self to get control of my life for a series of a couple weeks and knew I needed to withdraw for a weekend of silent, solitude, and prayer to come home to the presence of God within me. Because here in the Western world, we live with cluttered minds and hearts that have forgotten how to be still and know that he is God. Inside ourselves, we're running all the time, forever ambushed by the tyranny of the urgent, by busyness and schedules, so seldom awakened to the fact that every minute and every moment can be lived in the presence of God, who is the presence of love. Well, after paying the price to be sifted and to learn how to spiritually see again, I landed in Singapore to teach at a youth with the mission center, and I was carrying a dozen yellow roses. And because the wireman basically called me and says, Jeff, one of our staffs is having a birthday today. She loves yellow roses, and you're at the marketplace, so if you can grab some, that'd be awesome. So I was carrying the dozen yellow roses, and even though there was so much sound and commotion around me, my heart was still leaning against The love that is better than life the result of a special time with with my beloved so when i glanced over at the train station there was about 50 people but my spiritual eyes only saw one it's like suddenly this woman jumped out in my spiritual vision and i felt an impression in my heart that i thought must be god the impression was this jeff take the dozen yellow roses go over to that woman And say these are from your heavenly father from my heart to yours tell her i love her i'm lonely for her i miss her i forgive her and i want her back now my first reaction to those thoughts in my mind was god uh, this is kind of a bit cheesy i don't really know if this is you or not you ever have, we've had that wrestle, haven't we? And I love the teaching you had about God speaks, we listen, and then we respond. But I wasn't really quite willing to respond yet. I thought, what's holding me back here? And then a quote from an old friend of mine, Brendan Manning, who wrote Ragmuffin Gospel, a signature of Jesus, said this, if you take no risk, you risk not living. So I thought, what do I have to lose but my pride? <laughs> so I took the roses and thought, I'm going to go for it. But while I was walking there, I remembered a important lesson in learning to hear the voice of God. And scripture says no one is good but God alone. So we can trust a series of selfless spontaneous thoughts is the voice of God and the sheep hear his voice. So trusting that and trusting what I said prayer was, which is the practice of the posture of a radical trust in God's grace. I approached her, she looked at me, obviously shocked, and I took the dozen yellow roses, pushed them towards her chest, and said, excuse me, miss. Your heavenly Father God wants you to know today. He misses you. He loves you. You're his daughter. He forgives you, has a new life for you. And said those words, and for a moment, she's just staring at me like, who are you and what are these roses? In that moment, I thought, "Okay, strike out, Jeff, A for effort. (laughs) When then suddenly, she began to sob and to weep in the roses. About five minutes later, she got her composure back and looked up at me and apologized and said, "Sorry, sorry for all that. But sir, you need to understand, when I was a little girl, my dad was my best friend. We did everything together. He'd take me to work on his motorcycle, he would sit me on his lap, we'd watch movies together, we'd laugh together. And every birthday of mine, he would get me a dozen yellow roses. But he was killed in a car accident when I was 16 years old. And I allowed my heart to become cold and bitter. I stopped going back to church, stopped seeking God. And then she paused for a moment. And in shame, her eyes settled onto the ground And without looking up to me, she said, and to my shame, I'm a prostitute here on the streets of Singapore, never dreaming that God would ever want me back, that he could ever forgive me for what I've done. But you say he has, and he misses me. We prayed together as she repented and gave her heart and life back to the Lord. And for over 15 years, She's been leading a center, a home in Bangkok, Thailand, for broken women. Because we have a Jesus who's madly, desperately in love with us. And what once was scarlet, he could make as white as snow. And he wants to use you and I to hear his voice, to respond and to take that risk. If we take no risk, we risk not living. Well, that led to another dangerous prayer in my life. And that dangerous prayer is this. God, would you break my heart with the things that break yours? I Think those were words originally penned by Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision. And that's been my prayer for over 20 years. It hasn't been easy to pray because the things I've seen, when you say break my heart, Lord, with the things that break yours, that literally begins to happen in experience. And the first thing I saw as God has many servants, but few friends. John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you a servant because a servant does not know his master's business. I call you my friend because everything I hear from my father, I make known to you. What a beautiful imitation! to not only be servants of the living God, but to be friends with the one who wants to whisper to us his dreams for Boulder, for the people around us, for the world, that that kind of union he aches to have with us. I'm going to show you a visual here from the movie Munich. I like to show movies in my teaching, not just for entertainment, but my old profession before um, being in missions over 100 countries ago was I was a journalist in training, specialized in editorials and movie reviews. Well, this is from the movie Munich. And you're going to see a mother here holding her little girl, and the Munich and Olympic Games in 1972, when the ter- the terrorists attacked, or m- many people killed, and there was an American detective kind of involved in just kind of helping unravel um, just who was at fault, and this detective was asked to go into hiding by the American government. And that he couldn't call his wife or the, his phone lines were potentially gonna be tapped unless the government weekly gave him kind of one hour that they would make sure his phone lines weren't tapped, that so he can talk to his wife. And the sad thing is um, he, he has a new baby girl that he was gonna have a month off to, from work to see and to spend time with. Well, then the 1972 Olympic Games tragedy happened and he was asked by the government to go into hiding. This is his weekly call. Watch at how he talks to his life, wife, but mainly how he talks to his little girl that he hasn't physically held yet, who he isn't, hasn't even been in the same room with.
0: you woke up the baby, but, but that's okay, I mean. How are you? <sighs> I miss you. You're in England, or Australia, or the North Pole. Y- yeah, that's right. <sighs> so listen, I was thinking when I finished doing what I'm doing here, I want to come to Brooklyn to see you. Brooklyn is depressing, it's got more churches than Jerusalem. Listen to her talk. Hey. Can you hear me? Can she hear me? And i have to get her to bed she's tired
1: she'll dream about you notice the expression on the face of the father i see two things I see a deep pain, a deep sadness that he can't be fully present in the room with his little daughter, can't hold her in his arms. But also I see on his face an exquisite joy that even though she hasn't physically felt him, she recognized his voice. She said, Papa, and that overwhelmed him with joy oh how i love the words of richard foster when he says the heart of god is an open wound of love he aches over our distance and preoccupation he weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness he longs for our presence and know oh, that the holy spirit will open the eyes of our hearts that we'll see a god who aches to be with us prayer would less be a chore and more of a realized union with god that sustains a life of love and meaningful service in that meaningful service james 1 pure and undefiled religion is this to care for widows and orphans in their distress and to keep yourselves from being polluted by the world the lord has broken my heart for the orphaned the sexually exploited children the marginalized and the poor with our pilgrimages and retreats we look at both the journey of the broken of the world, as well as how do you and I keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. Love 146 evolved out of Axiom and now has aftercare facilities and there's many nations around the world. One of my best um, friends, Rob Morris, posed as a customer in Thailand in a brothel, looked through uh, the thick glass with other business from, from America bunch of little girls laying on a bed who couldn't see them they were stripped with the dignity of their names taken away and over every bed was a number one girl's number was 146 hadn't been sexually abused yet so they end up naming the organization love 146 and i remember after i prayed the dangerous prayer break my heart with the things that break yours Lord love 146 evolved out of axiom but then the breaking became very personal I was working on licensing axiom to take in needy children when they called me and says Jeff we can't license organizations any longer unless they do foster care and adoptive care full-time use axiom run with pilgrimages and retreats we can't license axiom but we can license you and I thought well I wasn't really thinking about being licensed just matter of fact we have two boys here who are seven and eight they used to awaken in the middle of the night when they were three and four hear screams in the living room Brandon would crawl to the bedroom open up the door crack and would see his father dragging her mother around by her hair beating her across her face in anger, she would stand up and all the photos on the mantel of the fireplace she'd throw to the ground in anger. And then, after being drunk, they would go to bed and sleep. And Brandon would crawl into the living room, go into the kitchen and get super glue and put all the pieces of the broken picture frames back together in family photos and put them back on the mantel of the fireplace. She goes, Then their mother, um, two nights later, The things in a backpack and they went out and lived down the streets for a while. Then they were in foster care and they've just heard, now when they're seven and eight, hoping that they'd be able to return to their mom, that they're unable to. And they are gonna be split up in a couple days. Sir, would you just mind spending Saturday with them? They've just heard this bad news. We've been looking for a man, someone, because they've lost their father, they've been talking about him a lot. I go, I'd love to spend Saturday with them. You should have saw Brandon and Patrick. They are of Irish descent. So Patrick, seven years old at the time, of the most flaming red-orange hair, and his skin so white he almost gets the sunburn when he reaches in the microwave. And I looked at me, and they were so polite that day, and I looked down at them, and I said, boys, I can't imagine the trauma you're going through but we have today, and there's hope. What do you want to do today? Anything you want to do, I'll do. And they said, well, sir, we'd love to go fishing. Our biological father was a fisherman by trade. And I'll go, boys, I'd love to fish with you, but I'm bad at fishing. We'll teach you. And they go, well, if you could help me catch one fish, you would have performed all the miracles I've seen. and so we went up the coastline together and these boys had the fishing anointing i don't know if you're one of them i have like the anti-anointing fishing i mean they can catch you know fish out of a puddle of water well they're reeling in the fish and to my amazement i caught one as well well we get in my car at the end of the day ready to go back to my house and we're laughing talking having a wonderful time together where suddenly they started just whispering each other and talking In my back seat i go boys what are you talking about include me in the conversation and then patrick paused for a moment and said well sir my brother and i have been talking but we were told not to ask you this but can we ask you anyway and i got a little nervous i go nah sure go ahead and ask me we're friends and they go well sir brandon and i've been thinking would you think of possibly adopting us we promise we'll do our chores every day and we will always stay out of your way i can't remember what i said but i'll never forget what happened in the foyer of my house when we got home they went from being bubbly fun loving boys to all of a sudden depressed and quiet as i helped them load their backpacks to return them to the department of family services and to say goodbye The foyer of my house at that time was a big reflector mirror and I was helping Brandon load his backpack and I was helping him do that. He um, looked up at me and he goes, sir, you're pretty tall, you're pretty high up there. Before you return us, do you mind if I come up there? First, I didn't know what he meant. But then I remember the photographs the Department of Family Services showed me of them with their dad when they were toddlers. Was there at the beach and Patrick was holding his hand and Brandon was sitting on his shoulders and I said you Brandon you you want to come up here yes sir can I just sit on your shoulders for a moment lifted him up put him on my shoulders we look in the reflection of the mirror in front of me and it was an awkward moment for a moment and then he tilted his head down at me and said sir I don't want you to call me Brandon anymore. I said, well, what do you want me to call you? Could you call me your son? Could you say that word? My life flashed before my eyes. In that moment of silence, a single man leading ministry where I was itinerant most of the time, and here was an eight-year-old boy asking me to choose him. For a a moment, I paused and prayed, God, what do I do? Son, do you remember your dangerous prayer? Do you remember when you prayed for me to break your heart with the things that break mine? My son left the 99 for the one. Can you leave what you think is so important for the two? God spoke, I listened, and then finally I reacted. And said I call you son today you're mine he said what you, you want me I said my life would be incomplete without loving you and a year later they became my sons Brandon and Patrick and as of last year Brandon has given me two granddaughters prayer again is to practice the posture of radical trust in God's grace, but it's also to answer the invitation to join God in the most radical movement in the world. And that movement is a movement of God's love. And in closing here, I want to offer myself to you in the next coming months to help you in in that prayer journey as you so desire and the three areas i'm going to talk about here as and i'm going to end with a story is first jeremiah 6 16 says this this is what the lord says stand at the crossroads and look ask for the ancient paths ask where the good way is and here's the hard part and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. I love that passage. We're at a crossroads here in the world. There's no more beautiful journey you could be on this year than the journey of prayer, the journey of transformation. And prayer practice videos Ash and I are going to be working on putting together that shares a bit of of my journey, my um, kind of Mistakes I've made over the years, as well as the beauty and the wonders of what I've seen in scripture regarding the ancient paths. And these prayer practices are gonna be merged with postmodern and kind of modern ways of, of praying. And most of them are gonna be five minutes. The first two are just gonna be a little longer to set a good foundation. But we offer those to you as a help. And also a June retreat. Um, it's gonna be a journey together to a prayer journey, an inner prayer revolution that leads to an outer life of love. Well, we'll look at um, what a realized union with God and one another can look like in a deeper way, and how we could um, kind of hear from God regarding His purposes and dreams for our lives. So, I'd love to get to know you at that June June retreat, but also Assisi, um, Italy, where St. Francis was born, a pilgrimage. That you'll probably learn a little bit more about later. You may think, well, what's the difference between a retreat and a pilgrimage? Well, Ian Cron, a wonderful author, um, makes a statement here. A pilgrimage is a way of praying with your feet. You go on pilgrimage because you know there's something missing inside your soul. And the only way you could find it is to go to sacred places where God made himself known to others in sacred places something gets done to you that you've been unable to do for yourself pilgrimage invites us to put feet to our prayers i'll never forget nancy roberts joining us a couple years ago in assisi italy for a 5-day this 5-day pilgrimage and she had, had was carrying hurts wounds and pain from her upbringing in catholicism we are on a prayer walk putting feet to our prayers near san damiano when suddenly I saw a Franciscan monk turn from his quiet place of prayer and start to walk towards Nancy. And I remember thinking, oh no, what's he doing? He immediately then stopped in front of Nancy, lifted up his head and looked at her, and said, excuse me, please forgive us for what we've done. We want to be the face of Jesus to the world and often don't do that very well. We are sorry what's happened to you. And Nancy began to pray and was able to let go of the pain of her past and come into a full, more healed union with Christ that she now effectively gives to the world. Thirdly, I want to offer myself, as this any person of communication? My email is jprattmail at gmail.com if you have any questions about the videos. Or I know you have a wonderful team here, but I'd love to get to know you before June. And so I just offer myself to you i'll never forget the first week i had brandon and patrick in my home and i'm going to finish with this and i was told jeff don't give your new sons any affection because there may have been sexual abuse when they were living on the streets affection needs to be given as trust is established and that may not happen for a long time so we're just giving you a heads up So Brandon and Pat were in my home that first weekend. We had a busy day in my office. All of a sudden, I saw Pat's big red hair and look around the corner, and he goes, "Um, "Excuse me, sir." I go, "Pat, you don't have to call me sir. That's that's a bit formal." Okay, then what do you want me to call you? I go, "Whatever you want to call me, but not sir, okay?" Okay, well, can I call you Dad? I'd love to hear you call me dad. Said, okay, uh, dad, are you busy? I lied. <laughs> Put my phone down. I go, no, no, I'm just sitting here relaxing. Well, can't you just watch TV? If you're not busy, just for a few minutes with me together. I go, sure, I'd love to. We sat on the couch and he immediately was like glued, like right smack next to me. You know? It wasn't even an inch away. He wanted to watch The Simpsons. So he turned The Simpsons on. We're watching, laughing, having a good time. And then he starts to lean against me. Now normally, because I've worked with many kids before, I put my arm around him and all, but then I was a bit nervous, just wanting to do things right. I can imagine if someone was looking through the back window, they see two of us watching the TV like leaning like this. When suddenly he went from the lean to taking his body and putting his head right against my shoulder. I thought, okay, the dude's coming in for a quick hug. So I put my hand on his back, but he didn't come back. He stayed two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. Now I was the only one watching The Simpsons. About eight minutes passed, then all of a sudden I begin to hear him whisper, Dad, where are you going? Dad, don't you love me anymore? If you go this time, I don't think I'll be able to make it. Startled, I'm thinking I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. Why is he saying this? So I glanced at his face and saw that while I'd been holding him, he had fallen asleep. And from his orphaned orphaned spirit and broken heart, his eyes were closed but I could see the sweat going through his red hair. I could see his pupils back and forth in anxiousness and anxiety. My greatest joy was shaking his shoulders. Waking him up and showing him where he already was. So I shook his shoulders and said, Pat, my son, wake up, O sleeper. Just like it says in Ephesians, wake up, O sleeper, and the light of Christ will shine on you. Wake up, and suddenly his bright blue eyes opened. He said, with a big sigh of relief, Dad, you're here. Can we stay here? go yes son let's stay here and then the father whispered to me and said my son Jeff there'll be a day you go into the world and tell my sons and daughters to wake up Oh sleeper and see who we already are we're already loved We're already powerful, we're already gods, and I look forward to journeying closer to the heart of God and the mind of God with you. Thank you very much for your time this morning.